Robots are a vital part of modern manufacturing, but humans and robots have always operated separately, with humans designing the products robots build. Now with next generation industry practices being developed, engineers are looking to bridge the operational gap and get humans and robots working together closer than ever before. UTS Distinguished Professor C.T. Lin is a leading researcher in brain-computer interfaces. BCIs allows a human to operate a robot through intention and thought, rather than through code. This would see humans and robots cooperating together to create products. This is particularly useful in delicate processes where a human's intuition and problem-solving and a robot's dexterity and robustness are vital. But it's not just the technical how of a BCI that we must consider. We must also consider the nature of the interface. How much do you trust your robot? And how much does your robot trust you? And what are the what's the main limitations behind BCI? Because I understand it could be very difficult to actually convert brain signals into electrical impulses to control a, a robot. So what's the main blockade for developing such a technology? Uh, we measure the signal on the scar surface. They were very low. It's just a mini ball. They can very minor, very small. Uh, so we need the good sensor, uh, just that we can extract, uh, we can measure the brain signal uh, from the scar surface. Since we, when we talk about the VCI, we talk about everyday applications. So we, so we consider non-invasive measurement. So we don't want people to open the scar and to put the sensor inside. Uh, so this is the one button, a good sensor, uh, just that we can have a good uh, brain wave quality. And the second is the uh, software, especially how to decode uh, we call it feature or the biomarker in the brain, for example, how to understand uh, what the intention of the, the user from the brain signal. Or we can understand the cognitive state of the human, for example, how fatigued the human is or how stressed the user is. How accurately can these new sensors that you've been working on measure the, the brain waves at the surface of the skull? I think accuracy depends on what kind of information we want to extract uh, from the user. Uh, so, for example, right now in this project, uh, we can give the command to the robot on the brain signal to walk to the different destination. Destination one, destination two. If they are totally 10 destinations, then our accuracy can reach as high as 97% accuracy. Yeah, but of course, if the number of destinations uh, for a robot to reach is more, and the accuracy will drop. Yeah, so it depends on the application, the purpose. And what's your ultimate sort of goal for this technology in the future? How do you see it fitting into, into the broader picture of, of society? I have a dream that in the future, they could be, uh, become a, the standard human-machine interfacing. And it's, uh, so as you can see that the, uh, the communication interface is the, the bottleneck between the, uh, from all the communication. Even I talk to you, right, my voice. Uh, and if I can convey my concept to you directly, then it's very efficient. So this is the, the ultimate goal that I can see the VGI technology. But of course, it's the, the more, much more effort and maybe it's the, not so easy to reach. But beneath of it, I think VGI technology will have uh, that applications uh, for healthy people or the person uh, had uh, some uh, neural uh, diseases. Uh, I can help the persons in some way. Uh, so for the formal person, I would say the BCI, uh, in, a, in a simple words, that to enhance or to augment the capability uh, of human. Uh, for example, for situation awareness, 
uh, will be uh, let the you uh, the human can more alert to the environment. Yeah, and and for the also that this could benefit the uh, uh, the healthy person in general, and for the person uh, that we can provide that with I call it a kind of chronic neural diseases uh, like the. Uh, the HD, HD, uh, <laughs> it's a migraine persons of the sleep disorder persons and the visual technology can help them uh, for home care uh, and to improve their life. You're looking at human robot trust. Now that's a really interesting concept. How does that factor into the, the strength of the connection and the success in communication between a human and a robot in this sort of setup? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, since uh, when we talk about cooperation between two agents, could be the two person and the trust is important. Right? That for the human group, they want to cooperate together, they have to trust uh, each other. And the same idea applies for the human robot cooperation. Uh, but of course, it's a kind of new idea. Like how far is the trust between <laughs> the human and the robot, robot and the human? So we try to measure the trust table between human and robot. And so to measure trust table, the first thing is that to understand each other. And so human have to understand the status of the machine. This part is easier, but the other way around is not so easy, right? How the machine to understand human. So that is part of which I can pray. We can understand the intention of the, the status of the human, and then we can pass the information to machine uh, to measure their trust value. For example, if current machine understand, oh, human is in high stress, then uh, the machine will try to help more. And also the same for the human. If they understand the machine is not in the very good the viewpoint, for example, and then uh, the human will take care more uh, during their cooperation. So this is a way that, that we can establish the trust label between them. And based on the trust label, that we can coordinate their cooperations. That was UTS's CT Lin talking about the metrics of human-robot trust. I find this idea of robot-human trust so fascinating, not just from an engineering perspective, but also from a philosophical perspective. The fact that we are looking to define the trust between the tandem system of robot and human is so interesting. Not only that, the idea of even assigning trust, a uniquely sentient trait, to something arguably non-sentient, has interesting implications. To explore this further, I spoke to Macquarie University's Dr. Chris Muller. Yeah, my name is Chris Muller. Chris is a critical and cultural theorist specializing in modern humanity's interactions with technology. He seemed like the right man to unpack this concept. Uh, and so we're looking today at robot trust. Now, this is a really interesting concept, and you've had a bit of a read through some papers that I've sent you by uh, Professor C.T. Lin from uh, UTS. And What were your initial thoughts on the idea of robot trust? Well, it's really fascinating. I guess my own work looks a lot at how humans come to trust machines and computational processes and approaching that from the other side of the screen or if, I guess that relationship from, um, yeah, really got me thinking. What did it get you thinking about specifically? Um, it's very interesting in how many forms trust could be defined. And uh, the paper you specifically um, shared with me as a very isolated case study of a of a human working with a robot um, in a physical environment, so presumably some kind of factory. And it was all about 
trust was all about ensuring that that collaboration would yield safe and optimal results. Now, if we take this into a much wider context, then of course, <laughs> there is a almost unlimited field of applications for this kind of technology and process. So that's what I found fascinating. For you, looking at this academically, what does it say about the progression of humans' development of technology where we're now analysing how much a robot trusts its user? In a fundamental sense, it signals how powerful these technologies are becoming. And um, in the study, the main use is a safeguard against abuse or unsafe use of that technology with a human who might be too clumsy or might have intentions that are not... um, Um, in keeping with the design of the machine. Um, So it tells us about that, right, that this interactive potential has become really um, crucial. And how is trust defined in this interface? So obviously a human trusting robot, trusting a robot is intuitive to us, but how, how do you define a robot trusting a human? Yeah, well, that's where I find this very interesting problem, right? Because we have a tendency to anthropomorphize our machines. And I guess fundamentally, we would have to remember that no machine can in any direct way see a human or interact with a human. So we need to uh, think of this as data being generated by the human uh, free interaction that is then computed and responded to. Um, in this particular instance, I found a very interesting one, the smoothness, the smoothness with which the user was operating the robot. So the more you're uh, trained and skilled at something, the more fluent your movements will be. And presumably, if your movements aren't very fluent, that might signal that you're a novice and therefore that you should not have access to this uh, robot or should not be allowed to operate it. It's like, you know... I. I think it would be like having a car that decides, oh, you're you're driving in a way that identifies you as a novice driver. Therefore, I won't drive. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I, I, that's how I interpreted the the aim of this study, which is a very interesting way of approaching the problem of trust, right? Because it's using data generated by the interaction itself to either limit or unlock certain potentials. Just how important is trust in a human-robot interface? Oh, without it, there would be no interface, <laughs> right? So, I mean, this makes makes it so interesting. Trust is a fundamental mediator of, of how we as embodied living beings respond to our world. If we deem something is untrustworthy, unsafe, we will hesitate, we will not do it, or we will feel very bad or anxious when engaging in a relationship. So the trust from us onto technological objects in that direction um, is really a phenomenon that is very extensively studied for that reason, right? Because people developing computing applications want us to trust those applications. I noticed that you've written some notes on the paper. What really stood out to you from the study? Well, at first I was thinking about one of the words being used an objective measure of trust, right? And and to me that initially as a as a scholar with a cultural studies background, these kind of things are t- taken with a pinch of salt immediately. But then I started to understand, well, for instance, 
the way trust was being calculated, and, and this is not what I think the paper did exactly, but I'm transposing, I think, the methodology, is to look how smooth a movement would be. And of course, my own impression, my senses, my eyes as a human are quite limited to make that judgment. But of course, if you have a, are interacting with a device that is capable to uh, track the movement of the hand much more close up, in, in much more like kind of mathematical detail, you could probably very easily establish, well, this movement was smoother, was following a more fluent motion than the other one. And to the human, those two movements might look indistinguishable. So in that respect, there is such a thing as an objective movement, right? As I understood it. Of course, these all have to do with very straightforward operations of a machine where, where we can apply those mathematical models. The question would be how would one create mathematical modules to compute much more abstract or culturally loaded uh, like definitions of trust. Coming from um, my background in astronomy, it seems like everything needs to be mathematically quantifiable. Um, but at the same time, the idea of trust as being mathematically quantifiable is, a, is such a bizarre notion. My trust is a very interesting phenomenon. So my, I guess, research interest and expertise is precisely in these kind of emotional states that are super intuitive. Now, trust is easy. If you have it, you trust someone, so there's no resistance with you interacting. So trust manifests, in a sense, through an absence of hesitation or through, through a lack of emotion or kind of feedback or even pos very positive and warm feelings. That's how it becomes manifest. And um, distrust becomes manifest as hesitation, as doubt, as possibly doubt that you can't overcome, even if you want to, right? There will be some kind of inhibition that you feel. So this means that trust is at least the way I would define it from a kind of a experiential perspective, bound to the person experiencing it, right? I, my life experiences might make me trust something or a process or a person, whereas other people might distrust that very same person. So, so that mutual relationship, um, to quantify that mathematically, I'm, I'm sure there would be ways in which you could come up with models and that could, could kind of emulate or formulate that. But um, yeah, that, that's a question uh, I, I haven't got an answer to. I don't think anything is beyond observation or quantification, really, <laughs> right? I don't believe in these kind of metaphysical things, but I do believe there are many things that we can't actively experience. So that becomes a, a different kind of question. And you spoke earlier about how we tend to anthropomorphize our machines and how at times that can be unhelpful, but I but at the same time here we're, we're assigning a very human experience to a robot. So where does this fall on, on that sort of scale? Well, I think it makes total sense to me, and that's why I'm, I'm grateful that you approached me about this. It makes total sense to me as machines become much more autonomous and powerful and, and unlock a certain certain potential into the world that far surpasses what humans could do. 
um, to build in mechanisms that can safeguard that power from humans who are either clumsy or untrained or you're not ready to kind of wield that, right? At the same time, you know, it could also flip the other way, right? You could use better understanding of how trust develops and what it is to make machines engage in activities that we would possibly not want machines to engage in. So it's that kind of um, question that I find quite interesting because can we speak of trust um, in the human sense? No, but can we speak of a mechanism that mirrors what trust does in our interactions? Yes, but we all know from experience, that's one of the things we know about trust is that it's never perfect, right? That it's a trial and error game. You might trust someone and then you realize, oh, that was misplaced trust. Um, and it's only that experience that will make you more conscious of potential risks. So those are the kind of questions I would ask myself. Trust in what sense, against what, directed at whom? Um, all of these have to do with with our perception of the world. So can a robot see the way we see the world? I don't think that it's a helpful way of approaching the problem. Because, I mean, we, we could have a 10-hour podcast to discuss whether we actually see the world the same way. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I hope that makes sense as a kind of a, a guardrail against these easy analogies that, you know, are shorthands. When I think this paper speaks of trust, it is speaking of a process that mirrors what we do when we collaborate. You know, am I going to trust you if you're evidently, say, drunk on the job? Probably not, right? Um, but the computer in this instance doesn't understand that you're drunk. It just understands that your movements don't follow the pattern that it was programmed to deem safe. It's like looking at it from a technical perspective. It's building up a database of expected movements um, in order for the robot to, f to better respond to the movements. The more experience it has with its user and that user specifically compared to a, a novice or a, or a new user is going to greatly affect the performance of the robot. Mm. Yeah, and I think that is a really exciting way of approaching this problem. And I can really like, you know, I would love to uh, interact with one of these robots and, and, and build trust, I guess, in that way. It would be a very interesting experience to make, I'm mm. sure. Trust is an evolutionary mechanism that allows us to work efficiently and without harm in a team environment, whether that be with our fellow humans or with our robot co-workers. And with BCI technologies looking to make robot co-workers more commonplace, we may have to start trusting our robot friends and helping our robot friends to trust us. But if we think of trust in a much wider context, then of course, um, I mean, we have words such as naivety and stuff like that, where you're basically too inexperienced to realize, oh, there would have been a risk here. And I had this kind of misplaced trust that people would just be good or something like that, or, or that you know, there was no risk or something. I wasn't on my guard, that kind of thing. So when we start taking this problem outside of this very defined context, 
I think and, and say would apply to a robot. I think questions would to me emerge how we would like even define those kind of problems. But yeah, it's a very fascinating question. So um, thank you for, you know, asking me to, to think about it. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SCI Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Cameron Furlong. Thanks for listening.